they had a good time and um, had a lot of funny stuff. Jackson, uh, my three-year-old, if you'll pray for him, he did. He broke his arm the first day we were there. Um, little little Jackson that you see running around here sometime, he uh, was going down a little fireman's pole thing and slipped and fell and broke his arm in two places. But it was uh, actually both bones in his, his right forearm. So amazing. I was down at the beach, and, and they came and got me when he fell. And by the time I got up there, he was not crying anymore. We went to the doctor. Um, get there. They're squeezing on his arm. He never cried, never whimpered. Um, we go in there to do the x-rays. They got the big x-ray machine thing that's zooming around, and he never cries. They said, put your arm up there. He slaps his arm up there, take the pictures. I mean, it's just amazing to me. He, we go to the doctor the next day to get the cast on. He's sitting there, and he's laying in my lap, goes to sleep. So we go back there to put the cast on. They put the entire cast on up to about midway of his bicep without him ever waking up. And he wakes up, and he's got this big thing on his arm. But, I mean, it was just like he had the most incredible peace. Now, the, everybody else, on the other hand, were freaking out and having a fit. But he had incredible peace about, about this whole thing, and um, he's just been a real trooper with it. But that was the very first day we were there, so he had to spend the rest of the week not getting in water and, and that kind of thing. He was able to get in a little bit. Susan had about ten layers of uh, wax paper and stuff on his cast so it wouldn't get wet. But we had a good time. We missed being here, but I thank Sean for preaching. I know he did a great job last week, and... Um, he always does, and so I, I do appreciate that. And um, I want to talk to you today about uh, the, the next of our five purposes. Those of you who've been here, we've been talking about the five purposes of the church, this church, and what I believe are the biblical purposes for every church. And so we've looked at several different things. The first one um, is that we, we take them out of, or I guess the, the scripture we use to get us going into these things is Second um, Corinthians 5.14. It says that love compels us. And when, when you've experienced the love of God, the love of God compels you to do some things. And I believe that these are the things. The first one is that love compels us to worship God. Um, it compels us to put God on the, the throne of our lives, that we come in and we worship God together, but we also go out and we serve God to worship others. Uh, the second one is that we tell others. When the love of God is, is in you, when you are full of the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit um, is on the inside of you, there's something in you that makes you want to tell other people. And the third one, which Sean talked about last week, was serving in ministry, that when the love of God is inside of you, you, you serve others. And so that's another purpose of the church, that we begin to serve one another. I will say this about that one. If you have a heart for kids, we really need you. Um, we've got a bunch of kids. The, a lot of the people who are coming to this church have small children, and uh, we, we can use the help. So if you want to jump into that third purpose and serve in ministry, and you have a heart for children, um, just let me or Susan know, and we'll be more than happy to allow you to fulfill your purpose here in this church. Um, but we do have a, a huge need for that. And that's such a, such a big thing on our heart anyway, is to make sure that these kids receive um, the teaching and the love that they need. And so if you have a heart for that, just please let us know and we'll get you involved. And then the fourth one today, which is a big one to me, is that we need to fellowship with one another. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn to Philippians chapter 2, we'll get into this and, uh, and talk about it a little bit. I want to read to you, first of all, the um, first two verses in Philippians chapter 2. And it says, Philippians 2.1 says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Let's pray. God, we thank You. Thank You for Your Word. Father, today I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit it would be anointed to cut deep into our hearts. 
God, to begin to do an awesome work in our lives. God, I pray that it would come with clarity, that it would come with boldness. And God, that it would just be empowered with the love and grace that only comes from the Holy Spirit. We love you, Father, and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The first thing I want to tell you about fellowship is this, that as you see right there, it says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, when we become Christians, we become united with God. It's not just that that there's this, this separation. We become one. The Bible says that we literally become We become one with the God of the universe. Now, that is absolutely incredible to think about. I don't know, as as we were worshiping today, one of the things that came to my my mind, and then Sean talked about it a little bit, was just here I am standing before God, raising my hands to a holy God, and I know who I am. Is that not crazy? I know the ins and outs of me. I know the areas of my life that aren't perfected. Susan could tell you more deeply and more... She's more acquainted with those probably than I am myself. But, but I know my heart. I know the things that are there. And yet I'm standing here worshiping in the presence of an almighty God, of the God of the universe. And I just think sometimes we take that for granted. That just becomes something that when we've been saved for a little while, when you first get saved, you're like, yippee, I, I can talk to God. I can pray to God. I can worship God. You come in and they're the, always the ones that are so excited, you know. And we come and like, oh, God, another worship service. You know, and we just begin to take it for granted because we just, this, this relationship that we have here, it, it just becomes this thing that, that's just not that important. It becomes ho-hum. It becomes like everything. I remember when I was like 10 years old, I got a Nintendo. And I don't know, I mean, it was like the old school Nintendo. It's not like what they have today. It was like Super Mario Brothers. And I played it literally until my thumbs hurt. It was the greatest thing. About two months later, I didn't want to play it. Because I thought it was so great, it was so wonderful. And sometimes that's what happens with our relationship with God. We get a new car, and man, we take care of that car. That car is like our baby. That thing is spotless, and two months later, you've got McDonald's bags under the seats. You've got French fries. You've got where the, you left the Coke cup in there too long, and it just finally just seeps through and gets all down in your little uh, cup holder, and it's all sticky. Then you get pennies stuck in there. So the next time you try to set a drink in there, it falls over, and it goes in the floor, and you get all mad, and you run up on the curve, almost hit somebody. Come on, you've all done that. Don't, please don't make me feel like I'm the only one that's done that. But, but it happens, and sometimes that happens with our relationship with God. But when we consider our relationship with God with fellowship, there's one thing that I believe with my whole heart. You'll never go deeper in relationship with people than you go with God. Because our fellowship with God and with other people is very similar to the love of God. See, we can't love people the way that God loves them until we know the love of God. You can't give something you don't have. Does that make sense? I'd love to give you $100 today, but guess what? I don't have it. So I can't give you something I don't have. If we don't have our relationship with God deep, we'll never have our relationship and our fellowship with other people that's deep. It'll be hard for, we'll never go deeper in true Christian fellowship. And here's another problem that we have. I don't believe most people ever actually experience Christian fellowship. We've got to realize that when we're joined with God, we're not just joined with God, we're joined with one another. And I think about it like this. God begins to take all these pieces of a puzzle And they're all shaped differently, and they all look differently. They've all got different designs on them. They've all got different purposes as part of that puzzle, and he begins to put them together. 
and he begins to merge them. And I believe God's heart is for us to be so merged together and so pressed together and so put together that eventually those little lines you see in the puzzle just begin to disappear. So that we just become this one body, this one thing that functions. You take one little individual puzzle piece, you put it together and, and, and with another one, and you've got a piece of the puzzle. But when we all begin to come together, we all begin to be merged together. We all begin to be put together the way God intended. Then we get to see the whole picture. And see, here's the awesome thing, is that when all those pieces are put together, you and I are joined together as one with God, Christ, the head. He's directing everything. We're going out. Then what the world gets to see is a clear picture of God. But we've got to get to a place of fellowship. See, most Christian fellowship exists of this. Now, come on, this is just honest truth, okay? We walk in the door, and we go up to somebody, and we go, Hey, how you doing? Fine. How are you? Great. Good. All right, man. Good. And we leave. Or then we come up after, um, after the service and we're like, well, let's just hang out, everybody. We're going to have some snacks. We're going to have cookies, Cokes. Just we'll have a time of fellowship. But it's the same thing. We just stand around. Well, how's the kids? Good. Kids good. Yeah, good. Good. How's work? Oh, it's good. You know. And then we leave. And we're like, well, we had fellowship. That's not fellowship. Let me just have, that, is not fellow, that is not what God has in mind. And so today, the first thing I want to really do is I want to hit some of the things that we have to realize if we're going to become a body that truly fellowships. And then we're going to look at some aspects that, that come out of true Christian community, that come out of a relationship and a fellowship that actually functions the way God designs it to function. The first one is this. If we're ever going to experience true Christian fellowship, we've got to learn to trust one another. How many of you have a hard time? You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have a hard time trusting people? It's just one of those things. Some of you raise your hands anyway. You're just like, hey, I don't care. But, but we do. Man, and, and in the world we live in, I guarantee you every one of us in here have been wounded at some point in time. We all have. I mean, I can tell you, I know what it feels like to be hurt by somebody that you put up there, that you put on a pedestal, that you looked up to, that you thought, man, you, put, you just pour yourself into that. You let them pour into you, and then all of a sudden, bam, and something happens, and you're like, whoa, I understand that. But one of the things that we've got to do is we've got to begin to get into relationships with people where we begin to trust again. I'm not saying you just go up to everybody in, the, in Statesboro, Georgia, and you just all of a sudden begin to just trust them with everything. You don't give them your pin to your uh, checking account, you know. You don't, you don't uh, give them your credit card and just say, I tr-, you know, it takes time. And if we're ever going to trust one another, we've got to begin to spend time together. That's one of the reasons we have connect groups. It's one of the purposes for those things is because we get in there and we get to know each other. Now, sometimes those groups just kick off and, man, they are kicking and people are loving on each other. And we've, we've had some of that already in these groups so far. People have just been loving on each other, sharing with each other, praying for each other, and it's been great. But most of the time, if, if you go into those groups the first night, it's not that great. Why is that? Because people don't trust each other. You start talking and people are looking around like, ain't no way I'm sharing anything with these people. I don't know them. You know? We just don't. And you would think, well, we're in a Christian, we're in the church, and, and everything's good. We can just share anything. We know that's not necessarily true. So we've got to be able to make time. We've got to get in these groups together, and we've got to begin to get to know one another so that we can then begin to experience true fellowship. You know, in a group of 100 people, it's impossible to experience fellowship? It's literally it. I mean, how can you really get to know that many people that well? 
We can do it on a shallow surface on this, this, this a certain level, but it's almost impossible to get to that deep kind of fellowship that God desires for us to have with one another, that God really wants for us. That's why we, we get in these smaller groups that become more intimate. People begin to share their hearts. We can come in, and I want to tell you, I mean, I'm not just bragging on this church. I'm not just bragging on you guys, but this is probably the closest I've ever seen where people just come in and share their heart. It, this is, I mean, like Miss Helen was saying today, people just come in and we share our hearts with one another. But there's another level of that, that if you've ever been a part of a small group that, that really, really, really bound together and really, really begin to trust one another, there's a deeper level of fellowship that we can get to. And it's so hard today because we just, everybody, it's like every time we turn around, there's another reason not to trust anybody. I mean, we don't trust politicians. We don't trust our, our pastors. The, the, the percentage of people who trust pastors today is down about 20% from just like 1980 or something. People don't trust people anymore at all. But we've got to begin to cultivate this culture. We've got to begin to get people into this um, trusting one another. Look at Acts chapter 6. This is kind of funny to me. Acts chapter 6. I'll read the first verse to you right there. It says, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. I'm going to read it again. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because they, their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, what was happening? We all, this is so funny, because we always say we just want to be like the first church. We want to be that first, we want to go back to that, that Acts chapter 2 church, and, and we think it was perfect, we think it was just like pie in the sky, everything was great, but it says as soon as they started to grow, what happened? People got offended. People got hurt. People were angry. And one of the things we've got to learn to do if we're going to work and we're going to be in fellowship together is we've got to learn to forgive one another. I mean, this could have split the church. Come on, you're messing with people's mamas in this. These were not like the young, these were the older ladies. And so they weren't getting food. I mean, this is important. You don't get food, you like die or something, you know? You die. You have to eat. And so they're not getting this stuff. They're not being taken care of the way they thought they ought to be taken care of. And so this could have split the church right down the middle. But what did they do? They came together and they said, well, listen, listen, we'll resolve this. We can get this right. We can do this. And so they come together and they figure out a solution. They get some men full of the Holy Spirit and they begin to help them get their food. They begin to put a structure in place to serve one another. But the problem was if they had not forgiven... And listen, I know this is... this. I know this like I know my name's Brandon. That people in here today need to forgive. There is no doubt in my mind today that there are people in here whose lives are being robbed and the devil is using as a tool this bitterness to begin to rob you of what God wants for you. I heard a story this week of, of a man who came forward for prayer. And, and as he came forward for prayer, his wife came up behind him and the man was, his, his hands were really withered and they were all messed up and, and they wanted prayer for his hands. And so he's standing there and he begins to, um, the guy who was going to pray for him begins to look at the man and, and he said he just had it in his heart, he needed to pray for the lady. Long story short, he comes to find out that, that they had had a spat about 20 years earlier and she had not forgiven him for 20 years. Come on, man, you can relate to that. 
had not forgiven him for 20 years. And this is, this is honest truth. When he was standing there, they began to minister to the woman. She finally found a way to forgive him. God's grace just came on her. The Holy Spirit came upon her. She began to weep. She began to forgive him. They're praying for him. Forgot about the poor fellow over here with arthritis. whose hands are all gnarled up. And he's standing there. But he's, he's weeping. He's crying because, thank God, you know, he's finally forgiven. 20 years. Hallelujah. And so she, they're, they're praying for her, ministering for her. And all of a sudden, he just goes, praise God, my hands are healed. They turn around. His hands are absolutely 100% straight now. But bitterness. We underestimate the power of bitterness. There are people today who are not healed, not because God doesn't want to heal them, but because there's bitterness in their life that they won't let go of. There may be people today who aren't healed because you won't release them to be healed. Because we hold on to it, and we just won't let it go. But I'm telling you today, it will rob you. It will tear your life apart. It will co- I even read a thing one time that bitterness causes gingivitis. Is that not crazy? It causes heart problems. It causes all, when you are so just angry and pent up and bitter, it even causes your teeth to fall out. I swear I found it. It was on the internet on like a one medical journal. I was researching one day, bitterness. What are the effects of bitterness? I found it. So if your teeth are falling out, forgive somebody. It's important. We've got to get to a place of being able to forgive. We've got to get to a place of realizing that this is something that the early church had to do. They had to forgive. I mean, come on, Paul and Barnabas. Paul's wanting to take, uh, or Barnabas is wanting to take John, also known as Mark, on a trip with him. Paul's like, no, 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 he, he deserted us back there. I'm not taking him. Barnabas like, yeah, they end up splitting. I mean, come on, it's been going on forever, forever and ever and ever. You start getting people together pretty soon. You got people mad at other people. You got people fighting over things. You got people offended. And we've got to find a way. If we're ever going to discover the fellowship that God wants us to have, we've got to find a way to forgive one another. We've got to be in this place. See, the word for fellowship and, and this body of Christ, this oneness in Christ, the Greek word is called koinonia. Some of you probably heard of that word. But it is a fellowship. It is a level of fellowship that you cannot get to apart from the Spirit of God. It is like the love of God. You cannot manifest the love of God. You can't love somebody you can't stand without the power of God in your life. You can't love people that get on your nerves without the power of God in your life. And you can't have fellowship with other people the way God wants you to have fellowship without the Holy Spirit moving in that. Until the Spirit of God begins to knit people together and it becomes something bigger than them, then we'll never ever be able to have the fellowship and the results of that fellowship like God intends. Next thing is this. This is back over in uh, Philippians chapter 2, if you want to flip back over there. It says in verses 3 and 4, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. If we're ever going to have true fellowship, we've got to begin to look to God and begin to be centered on Christ instead of on ourselves. One of the greatest hindrances to fellowship is the fact that we're just so selfish. We are just so me, me, me that we can't look to the needs of other people. And the most amazing thing is when you begin to look to the needs of other people, your needs will suddenly begin to be met. That man praying at the altar with his wife, he, he forgets about his hands. I mean, I would have been a little upset. 
I mean, I go up there for prayer and they begin to pray for somebody. I'm like, hey, how about me? Remember these? That's what I came up here for. But they don't, I mean, you know, but, but they're praying. For, I would have been like, hey. But then he begins to pray. He's just like, thank God she's forgiving me. Hallelujah. You know, she's getting set free. And then all of a sudden, bam, he's well. So when we begin to pour it into other people's lives, our needs will begin to be met. It doesn't make sense up here. Because since we're a little boy or a little girl and, and we begin to want things, the only way we seem to be able to get them is if we got them. It was about me. It was about, I want that candy. Jackson is so funny, y'all. My, my little three-year-old, the one that broke his arm. He is so funny. He doesn't say I. He's got a little stuttering problem. But, but we, I, I believe in Jesus' name that he doesn't have, he's going to be well. He's gonna, it's going to be taken care of. But, but he, he stutters, and he comes up, and, and he'll go, uh, I, I, and so he can't say I very well. And so he, I, 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 and he's just like get stuck. He's at a point you just want to go, you know, and like, like, it's a bro, like it's a record or something, you know. You just want to. And, he, and so and one day, one day we're out there and he's going, ah, 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 and I said, Jackson, just spit it out. And he goes, like that. And uh, he's so, I mean, this kid is just hilarious to me. He's so funny. And then the other day, the other day he was wanting some, he was wanting like a piece of candy or something. And he was going, me, 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 me want some candy. And I was like, no, Jackson, I want some candy. He goes, no, me want some candy. And he's like, I don't care if you want candy or not. Me want some candy. And then um, we're in there and. He was singing a song, the, the, the song off of Madagascar the other day. Uh, uh, I like to move it, move it. You know that song? I like to move it, move it. And so he's in the back seat. He's been watching Madagascar. And we hear him back there singing this song. And he's going, me like to move it, move it. Me like to move it. And it just hit me. And I just cracked up. I said, Susan, he even sings saying me instead of I. It was so funny. He's just like, me like to move it. But, but isn't that kind of our mentality? I mean, everything. It's just so me, me, me. I mean, it's cute when you're three, but when you're like 45, it's a little annoying, you know? And so we've got to get to a place where we put ourselves, our needs, on the back burner, realizing, see, listen, this is the cool thing about it. If I'll put my stuff back here, and I begin to take care of your stuff that's back there, and you begin to look at my stuff back here, and you begin to take care of it works out. It works out. And so that puzzle begins to be merged together until we're able to have this fellowship, this awesome fellowship that the church has lost. And I'm telling you, I just want to be real honest. When people from the outside look in and all they see is bitterness and fighting and people that are offended and mad and running around with pitching temper tantrums, why would they want to join that? They can do that Monday through Friday where they work. You know? They can get that at home. They can get, wherever, wherever it is, they can find that on every street corner. There is a call and a purpose on the life of the church that we would become something that is supernatural. See, we want to see miracles. We want to see tongues. We want to see prophecy. We want to see all these things. But the greatest miracle God could ever do is taking a bunch of misfits like us, putting us all together, and people looking at it and going, that is supernatural. That is the truth. But when God begins to press us together and we become one, man, the world will see that. And we're about to wrap this up. It won't be long. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want to talk to you just briefly about what begins to happen when we begin to experience this fellowship. See, I, I've been fortunate enough in my life 
to have been a part of a Christian fellowship that way. It started out with me and my brother-in-law. We, we had gone on the walk to Emmaus, and we got all fired up, and we came back, and, and I've told you this before, but we would meet in, in his little upstairs area. We called it the upper room because, I mean, we really did think we were like disciples and like the original ones. And we thought we had it figured out where the last week we didn't want anything to do with it, but by this time we had it figured out. One week was good enough for us. Um, we had it all figured out at that point. But we would meet up there, and, I mean, we met, and we would meet for two, three hours. Sometimes I would drive for an hour and a half to get there, go into the meeting, and then drive another hour to get home. And sometimes it would just be the two of us. Other folks would come, but we were so judgmental back then, we'd run them all. And so, so we, but we would meet. I, mean, I was just being honest. But we would meet, and we would just share our hearts because we, well, we were the perfect ones back then. So we could share our hearts, and we believed things the, the way that other people believed them, or the way that we believed them, and we would share. And as imperfect and as judgmental and as absolutely 100% wrong as we were, we would meet, and we hashed it out. And you know, the Bible says that if we'll just seek Him, that He'll lead us to truth, that the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth, and God finally revealed all of our faults and all of the things that we were screwing up on and this, this, this attitude that we had that was wrong. But we were able to experience this fellowship that was able to take us there. See, the thing about it is when you get together in these groups at a connect group or whatever, a Bible study, whatever it is, it's not that perfect people are coming together. It's that imperfect people are coming together. But fellowshipping together, you begin to fill in the pieces and the holes and the gaps that other people are lacking. And so we come to this and, and we... We come to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This is the first thing I want to tell you that happens when you begin to experience this awesome Christian fellowship that God desires for us to have. Verse 13 says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. It goes on and says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But it says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. Think about this. One of the most horrible places you can be in your life is isolation. One of the worst places you can be in life is being alone. I don't know if you've been there before, but man, when you think you're in something and you think you're by yourself, it is a horrible place to be. When you think that nobody else out there knows what you're feeling, that nobody else out there could possibly relate to what you're feeling, that nobody else out there could be dealing with what you're dealing with, it is a miserable state of existence. And one of the things that fellowship does is it begins to allow you to share openly. Remember, but you've got to be trusting people because you're not going to just share the things that are really burdening you and bothering you if you don't trust somebody. But when you come to a place of being able to just tell somebody, you come to a place of being, and then all of a sudden you're sitting in a group and they go, oh, you deal with that too. And that's like the best thing because you finally step out in faith and you share something and you're like, well, you know, I deal with this, this, and this. And then all of a sudden somebody goes, I thought I was the only one. And then like pressure's off. You're like, whoo, thank God. You know, thank God I wasn't the only one. I've been feeling, you know, weird for this amount. Of, and you begin to see that there are other people who deal with this. There are other people who are in this. And when you're in a place where you feel isolated, you feel alone, it is a miserable existence. One of the lowest points in my life was that low because I just felt like I was by myself. I felt like I was on an island and nobody even knew where I was. So we've got to get to a place where we can fellowship with one another. We can share our hearts with one another so that we realize we're not alone in this. Somebody's got your back. Somebody's there to hold you up and strengthen you. He goes on, let's look at 1 John 1 through, uh, 5 through 7. Chapter 1, 5 through 7. 5 through 7. It says, this is the message 
you have heard from him. We have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Think about this. Christian fellowship should be liberating. When we come together, it ought to be a place of freedom. It ought to be a place where we are liberated. It ought to be a place where we are set free. But how many times does that really happen? I mean, most of the time when you walk in church, it's just to shed some guilt, you know? You're just kind of like feeling guilt. And, and usually people don't make you feel any better about it. The Bible says if we'll walk in the light, if we're willing to come before one another and we're willing to share these things, we're willing to, to get it out in the open, we're willing to, then we can be liberated from the sin, from the guilt, from the things that we're struggling with. We can be prayed for. God can begin to move in our hearts and in our lives so that we can be prayed for by other people. And we can be set free and liberated. I thought about this this week. I mean, think about it this way. If somebody were to walk into this church, say a blind man walks into this church and he's stumbling around and he's fumbling and he's tripping over chairs and he's knocking things over and he's hurting himself and he's, he's, he's doing all this stuff that, that he just can't help because he can't see. How many of us would go over there when he finally finds a chair and he begins to sit down and yank it out from under him? If you would do that, you're really cruel. But nobody would do that. Come on. Nobody would do that. And so when I think about that, I think about this. Why do we do that to people who are struggling? See, when somebody's trapped in sin, when somebody's trapped in darkness, it, it, it's like they're blind. It's like, it's like Kim was sharing earlier today. It's like, you know, you go and you're looking for, for fun. You're looking for happiness. You're looking for joy in all these wrong places, and you just can't find it. But instead of taking people by the arm and by the hand and going, listen, listen, we can get through this. We'll make it. Let me direct you. Let me show you. I can lead you out of this. Let me be there for you. We're more likely to jerk the chair out from under them and go, see, I told you that sin was going to get you in trouble. I mean, that's the way we'd rather do it. And so we've got to see that part of our call and part of the effects of Christian fellowship is that we come alongside one another. We begin to help people be liberated. We pray for them. We walk it through with them. They know they're not alone. And then the, the third one is this. It becomes challenging and encouraging to you to press into God. It begins to cause you to press in. When Chad and I used to meet, Man, you know, one of us might be having a bad day. It was rare that both of us were having a bad day. And we would encourage one another. We'd get together with one another. I remember one time, i never forget this as long as I live, we had gone on the walk to Emmaus, and Chad and I, we, I mean, we weren't full-blown alcoholics, but we, we drank a lot. And if we were shooting skeet, we drank a lot, which, bad idea, guns, beer, not good. If we were playing golf, we were drinking. I mean, it was just a huge part of our life. We went on the walk to Mace. We came back, and it was just one of those things that God just dealt with us on. I mean, it was blatant. It was, it was right there. It was, there was no doubt about it. This was a problem in our life. We had to get rid of it. We had to deal with it. We had to begin to move on from it. And I remember that there was one time I went down to the beach with Susan and, and some folks, and, and Chad wasn't there. And, and, and I remember I was playing golf, and there was some people there. They had some beer. And I was like, oh, I don't want to drink that. Oh, come on. Just drink. It won't kill you. I drank one. Drank two. Drank three. And I came back, and the worst, and the reason I tell the story is this, because the worst part of that was when I had to come back and tell him. I had to come back and face him because I knew he was going to give it to me. I knew, and it caused me to not continue to drift away. 
It calls me to turn back around and, and repent to God and to Chad. It calls me to turn back around and begin to press into God again. Whereas who knows where that would have gone had it not been there, had that fellowship not been there, had that accountability not been there. Who knows where I would have drifted away. I'm telling you, if it had not been for him for the first two years I really began to live for God, I wouldn't have made it. And we can be so spiritual and say, well, if you just God could have done it. And God did do it, but sometimes God does it through other people. Sometimes our healing and our deliverance comes because other people are willing to spend time with us and pour into our lives. And so that the worst part of that whole experience was having to come back and say, oh man, you know, let me tell you what, I, I didn't want to do it. Man, it was hard. It's, it's funny now, but it wasn't then. I didn't want to do it. But it was somebody who held me accountable, who made me press in, who, who's like, man, what are you doing? And you know, he, he just got upset with me, but it brought me back around. Galatians chapter 6, and we'll be done. It says, in verse 1, it says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And it's something else that we see when we begin to fellowship is that we begin to see other people helping carry our burdens. It becomes a source of strength. It becomes a source of being able to, to make it through things that we otherwise thought we couldn't make it through. That when we're, our arms get tired, when we get tired, there are people there who will come alongside us and help carry us through. There are people there, and listen, when we try to do it on our own, it's just us. There's no, there's no strength in that. It's just us. But when we have other people who will come alongside of us and be that strength, who will share in the burdens, then you are then being Christ to that person. Because what did Jesus do for us on the cross? He took all of that from us. He took our burdens. He took our sins. He took our sickness. He took all of that. And it says that it was placed upon Him. So that when you're willing to come alongside somebody else, and you're willing to accept the burdens that they carry, and you're willing to help carry those for them, you are being Christ to that person. You're sharing in the fellowship of Christ's sufferings, and you're carrying that along with them. But most of the time, all we see it as is a hindrance to what we want. So we have to get to a place of being willing to share in those with other people. And that's something that comes out of true fellowship. Out of real Christian fellowship, there becomes a willingness to share in those burdens and share in the things that other people are going through. Verse 1 in Galatians 6, it says, Brothers, if someone is called in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. Restore him gently. It should be a place of restoration. This is my favorite one because I believe there are so many people in the world today who need to be restored. There are so many people out there today who are hurting. There are so many people out there today who have great big holes right on the inside of them that they need to have restored. And when we come together, God begins to do that. But a big way that he begins to do that is through you. He begins to do that through fellowshipping with one another deep fellowship where people can share themselves they can share their lives they can share their hearts so we can come to a place that word right there for restore is actually means to repair it actually means to build to frame when the bible talks about god framing the world it's the same word that god framed he he built it he he repaired it he he made it and so that what god's saying to us in that passage is listen build your brother up build your sister up 
Minister to them. Help them rebuild, repair them, make them whole. Whatever it is that they're lacking, God has called you to be a part of making them whole again. I'll tell you this. I believe that very little is done on earth that's not done through the Holy Spirit working through one of us. We can choose to be an agent of the devil or we can choose to be an agent of God. And when God fills us with the Holy Spirit, He calls us to be restoring agents. He calls us to be people of restoration who begin to pour into other people's lives so that they can be healed and whole and made complete as God designed and God intended. So that when we come into fellowship, that is an awesome opportunity that we have. But I want to encourage you. You ponder this. You think about it. You pray about it. Because God is calling us deeper. He's calling us to something that I believe has been seen very few times. I don't believe this happens all over, especially in, in, in groups. There's, there are small pockets of it here and there, but I believe God's desire is that we begin to fellowship intimately, closely, that we relate to one another, we share with one another. I mean, you look at Acts chapter 2 and what the early church did. That was a big part of it. All five of these purposes are right there in Acts chapter 2, 42 through, I believe, 48. Every one of them. And we wonder why did the church work? It's because they were doing the things that God wanted them to do. Because they were being the things that God wanted them to be. And so he's called us to do the same thing. I want to encourage you with that. If you're not in a group, if you don't have a small group, you don't have a Bible study, you're not in a connect group, I encourage you to pray about getting into one of those. I encourage you to take a step of faith and try one of those. If you're in one and you say, well, it hadn't been that great, I encourage you today to stick with it. Because it will. As people begin to trust and people begin to, to open up, we'll begin to see fellowship. But I just encourage you. That that is important. Listen, this church is about two things. I say about two things. We're, we're focused on really two things. We're focused on Sunday morning, people coming together and worshiping God. And the children's ministry and the youth and all those things that we're going to do. And we're also focused on these small groups. Because I know that they are that important. Our resources, our effort, our atten- attention is going into those things. And it's going to be simple. But I believe that in that we'll find everything that we need to live a life that God's called us to live, to live a life of wholeness and fullness, to see people restored, healed, set free, filled with the Holy Spirit. I just don't think we have to complicate it any more than that. So I want to encourage you with that today. That's what we're after. That's what we're looking for. By the grace of God, we're going to get there. Somebody told me the other day that I was looking for like a utopia kind of church, like a nirvana kind of church. I was like, well, that's wrong religion. But no, um, we're, we're actually just looking for a biblical church in a place where people love one another deeply. That we love God, we love people, and we love one another just, just the way that the Bible has instructed us, the way the Holy Spirit empowers us. Well, let's stand and pray. Father, we thank you for today and, and for your love, your grace. God, we thank you for the work you've done here, God. I thank you how you've, for how you've moved in the hearts of people. God, I thank you that you come and, and you will interrupt our plans. You'll interrupt our our schedules to do things that you need to do, God. And so today I pray that we be open to that. I pray, Father, that uh, there be a great move of the Spirit on our hearts, God, to see that we need fellowship. I believe, God, that there are people here today. I just believe in my heart there are people here today that are walking a path. It is windy, and there are too many options. And I believe that what God is saying today is that if you will put yourself in the body, then that path will become straighter and the path will become more clear 
and God will begin to be able to move and he'll begin to be able to make you whole. And I believe there are people here today who are not whole because they've withdrawn. They've withdrawn. And it's hard and it's dangerous, but God didn't never, he never called us to, a, to safety. He never called us to a place of, of, of walking in, in absolute 100% certainty. He says, listen, if you'll come overboard, I'll help you walk on water. But you've got to get out of the boat. And so there are people here who've been hurt. There are people here who have been, been, um, been wounded. And yet today, I believe that God is saying, you've got to begin to trust again. Trust in me. And then I'll begin to show you people that I'll put people in your life that you can trust, that you can lean on. God, I thank you that you take this body, you take all these individual pieces, and you begin to put them together as one whole and complete picture, and that this picture will point directly back to you. God, that we would be a supernatural picture of the love of God. God, that people would look at us as a body and see you, Father. Oh, we love you and we give you thanks and praise. I pray blessings over these people, God. I pray um, that, that if they, they lack God, I thank you that you meet that need. I thank you that you put angels around them to protect them, God. Give them hearts for you. God, take away our hearts of stone and give us hearts, God, for you and you alone, God. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name.